welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, it is World Communion Sunday, and Pastor Dana looks at the divine kinship that we have around the table. Let's listen. When I was in the eighth grade, my parents decided they were going to send me on my first international trip without them. So as an eighth grader, I traveled to Spain with my Spanish class, and I got to visit Madrid and Sevilla, and this was a very fun experience for me. Um, This might not have been quite as fun for them. They were worried sick about their little eighth grader that they had sent to another country, and when I returned home, my hair was a different color. (laughs) I had dyed my hair magenta. And this was 100 years ago when, having colored, when kids having colored hair was not a common thing. You know, nowadays we see people and kids with magenta hair, purple hair, blue hair. Uh, but this was not so much the norm back then. And so my parents were questioning their decision. But as I traveled with my eighth grade class, I thoroughly enjoyed just soaking in the culture and attending a bullfight in Sevilla and really just loving traveling abroad. And oftentimes when I tell people about this experience, I tell them that it was this trip as a little eighth grader where I got bit by the travel bug. It was that first trip to Spain where this love of traveling was spurred on. And for many, many years to come, I sought out every opportunity I could to leave the country and to travel abroad. As a college student, I would work all year, and I would file my tax refund, and I would get that check, and I would book my next flight out of the country. As a college student and a seminary student, I would take these travel seminars that lasted for months in other countries so that I could really immerse myself in different cultures. I absolutely love traveling to other countries and just soaking in the history, the food, the culture. I love seeing the different trees and birds and flora and fauna. But the one thing that I love the most about traveling is observing how people from different cultures and different countries interact with one another. I love really just taking time to observe What is it that they prioritize in a different country? What is it that they value and appreciate the most? And what I have consistently noticed from country to country is that cultures all around the world really value family. They really value relationships. All around the globe, from country to country, there's this deep sense of community that is present. Relationships are of the utmost importance in other countries. Not careers, not schooling, not material possessions, but rather really creating these deep personal connections with their friends, with their family, even complete strangers. And oftentimes, I would witness these deep personal connections being forged as people would gather together for a meal. For instance, in Spain, It is typical, it is customary for people to take two to three hours for a lunch break. They take their time. They sit down and really engage in conversation with their friends and their family. They close down their businesses, their shops for two to three hours so that they can enjoy each other's company. That is not something that we really do here in the United States. In Italy, it is also typical and customary within that culture for folks to take an extended amount of time for lunch and dinner. 
so they can really enjoy each other's company. It's also very common for an Italian to invite a complete stranger over for dinner or to have this impromptu meal with a new acquaintance, someone they barely even know. Italians are very hospitable. They want to get together at a drop of a hat for a social event. They love food. They love wine. And so they want to get together and share that with anyone they can. In Germany, the way of dining is a little bit different than what you might imagine. Oftentimes, the Germans' way of dining entails sitting with complete strangers. For instance, if all the tables are full in a beer garden or in a restaurant, then it's expected, it's customary for you to start filling in the gaps of these tables. We'll put a a picture up here on the screen for you so you can see that. So usually in these restaurants or beer gardens, you'll see these very long tables like you do in this picture. And as the, you see the gaps, you just fill in where it is that you want to sit. This sort of German custom where you're sitting with complete strangers, it allows for a conversation to strike up. It allows for new friendships to be forged, new relationships to bud and emerge as you engage in conversation. Now, the one country that I found to be the most interesting as to how they share a meal together was in China. In China, meals are these long ritualistic acts, and they are most certainly a communal event with everyone at a table sharing their food with each other. In most restaurants in China, you'll walk into a restaurant and you'll see these big, large, round tables. Usually they can seat 12 to 15 different people. And in the middle of that table is a lazy Susan. So each person at the table orders a dish or two that they want. And as the dishes come out, the server puts them on the lazy Susan. And throughout the meal, you just turn the lazy Susan and you take from it what you want. So it becomes this communal event. So all around the world, there are all kinds of customs and norms and various ways of sharing a meal with people as you sit at the table together. What remains consistent from country to country is the fact that food and sharing a meal is a central part of daily living. It is through sitting down at a table together, breaking bread with one another, that people are drawn into relationship. People are drawn into community with each other. It is through sharing lunch or dinner that draws friends and family members, even strangers or new acquaintances, into relationship with one another and allows for these deep and personal connections to be made. Now, I share all these stories with you, and I share all of these images from around the world about how people are drawn together through food and community because it is World Communion Sunday. It would almost be heretical if we did not mention food and community in our sermon. On World Communion Sunday, we remember our connectedness here in this church, but also beyond the walls of this church, and how it is through breaking bread at our communion table where we are all knit together as brothers and sisters in Christ. On World Communion Sunday, we celebrate this oneness. We remember our brothers and sisters from all around the world who will be celebrating communion today with their very specific communion elements in those particular countries. They will go to their communion table with tortillas, with sopapillas, with Irish soda bread, and they will break 
those forms of bread, and they will remember Christ's sacrifice for all of us. So this morning, as we celebrate World Communion Sunday and this oneness in Christ, and I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus is having a meal with his people. I want us to take a look at this passage and how he really defines and labels family. Turning to Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. It says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. In this passage from Mark, Jesus had just returned to his hometown after spending many, many years traveling around, preaching and teaching throughout the Mediterranean. And upon his return, he gathered together to have a meal with folks to spend time with those he had not seen in a while, to catch up, to reminisce, to laugh, and to enjoy one another's company. Now you would think that after Jesus had spent a long time away from his hometown, away from his family, that the first people he would want to see once he returned back home were his family members, his mother, his brothers. However, that was not so much the case. When Jesus returned home, we are told that those who were gathered in the house with him were a crowd. We're not even given the names of the people who were in that house. And the reason we aren't given names is because we wouldn't recognize those names. It wasn't a crowd of his nearest and dearest. It wasn't his mother, his brothers, his sisters. The people who were seated at the table with him were distant friends. They were acquaintances. Perhaps they were even strangers there were people who had no blood relationship to him at all. In fact, we are told that Jesus' biological mother and brothers were outside of the house. They were part of the group that were shouting obscenities to him. We are told in this passage earlier on that there was a group of scribes outside of the home. So Jesus' biggest opponents, and amongst those crowds, were Jesus' blood relatives. And they were accusing him of being possessed by an evil spirit, denouncing his kingship, making other evil accusations. And it was at that point that Jesus turned the concept of family on its head. And he did so by claiming that those who were present in the home, those who were seated with him, were his family, his true family. Jesus denounced his biological mother and brothers turned to the people that were seated at that table with him and said, these are my family members. These people that are sitting with me, old friends, new friends, acquaintances, even strangers, all of you are my family. You are my mother, you are my brothers, you are my sisters. Oftentimes when we read this passage, when we hear about how Jesus denounced his siblings, we're left feeling a little puzzled. We're left wondering how he could do this. I know I personally feel a little conflicted, a little uneasy about how he could sever ties with his family members in this way. 
But if we can step back and away from the shock and horror of Jesus denouncing his family members, if we can embrace this idea and concept of how Jesus claimed his new friends, even complete strangers as his family, then that is when we can open ourselves up to the grander picture. The grander picture being that what Jesus was really doing was expanding the boundaries of how we would typically define family. In this passage, Jesus moves us away from a very narrow concept of what family would typically look like, which would entail blood relatives, and it moves us towards this broader image of family, a much larger concept of family that's not limited to blood or a family tree, but rather it includes friends, it includes acquaintances, perhaps even strangers. He expands our concept of family to include acquaintances, old and new friends, who hunger and thirst for a relationship with God. The people who were gathered at the table with Jesus, they desired to be in relationship with him. They knew that he was the son of God. They wanted to be close to him. They wanted to learn from him. Ultimately, they were hungry and thirsty for a deeper connection with God. And what happened around that table was that Jesus drew all of these individuals brief acquaintances, new friends, old friends, into community with one another. It was through that meal that they were drawn into community with each other as they began to recognize this deeper connection, a divine kinship. And it was through that meal that he was able to create these deep and personal connections. As Christians, our brothers and sisters, our family members in this world, they are not just determined by our blood relationships, our family tree. There is a divine kinship that connects all of us together as a body of believers. And it's because of our connection with God, our genuine hunger and thirst to be in relationship with God, that we are all drawn together. It is that desire that has pulled all of us into this church this morning and connected each one of us. And it's because of our spirituality, these personal relationships with God, that connects us to all the other Christians around the world. If we look beyond the walls of our church, we share a divine kinship with every Christian in this world, from North Carolina to California, from the United States to Ghana, to Guatemala, to India. Our divine kinship stretches hundreds and thousands of miles. It connects us to hundreds and hundreds, thousands and millions of Christians. And all around this globe, there are various cultures that are very intentional about deepening those relationships and creating a sense of community around them. There are numerous cultures that spend hours a day sharing a meal with friends and loved ones, even strangers, just so that they can be in community, just so that they can strengthen their connections. Our culture here in the Western world, in America, is a little bit different. We are not quite as intentional. We're stopping for meals, taking time for a lunch break. We oftentimes feel hard-pressed to even stop and feed ourselves for lunch, let alone take the full hour for a lunch break. And I think that we are starting to see the effects 
of that lack of attentionality. There are deep divides that exist in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces. There are deep schisms that exist in our nation, and it has become increasingly important that we begin adopting this mentality. Adopting a mentality where we begin to recognize our connection to one another, where we recognize our divine kinship, our oneness as a body of believers, and where we actually take the time to nurture those relationships, where we take time to invite others to lunch. We have them over for a meal, even when it inconveniences us, and we begin to create community around a table. I want to share a story with you this morning that helps to highlight this idea of how it is so important to gather around a table and to nurture those friendships. In 2016, Hurricane Matthew hit North Carolina very hard. Who remembers Hurricane Matthew from 2016? It created a lot of devastation, especially along the eastern coast of North Carolina. After Hurricane Matthew hit, a nonprofit agency in Raleigh, North Carolina, hosted a fundraiser to benefit those who had been affected by the hurricane. This fundraiser was intended to help defray about $1.5 billion worth of damage that was caused along the eastern shoreline. Well, the fundraiser was called Sunday Supper, and 1,000 tickets went up for sale for this fundraiser. The cost for a ticket was $20, and with your $20, you would get a plate full of just good southern food. Brunswick stew, cornbread, North Carolina barbecue, and a plate or a bowl full of slaw. In just four hours of being on sale, these 1,000 tickets sold out. And a few weeks later, these thou- this 1,000 group of people sat down at a table to have a meal with one another. Now, what is unique about this story and this fundraiser is that as they sat down together, a thousand people, they sat down at two rows of tables that extended two city blocks in downtown Raleigh. This nonprofit had blocked off, closed down one of the busiest streets in downtown Raleigh so that these individuals could sit at a table together and enjoy a meal It extended two city blocks where these 1,000 people could really enjoy Sunday supper. This Sunday supper fundraiser occurred towards the end of November in 2016. Who remembers what happened at the beginning of November in 2016? Let me remind you. It was one of the most controversial presidential elections to date. It took place right after we had experienced a week in which politics highlighted a very divided nation, a very divided state. It was a time in which our nation was the most divisive that it has ever been in quite some time, especially in my lifetime. But despite that division and anger, these 1,000 people were able to set their differences aside. They were able to pull up a chair at this community table and to enjoy Sunday supper with one another. One young man that was present there was a 28-year-old named Jai Kumar. He said, I think it's been a long week for all of us. So to be able to help those who are affected by Hurricane Matthew and not really think about what else is going on 
has been really refreshing. Raleigh's mayor, Nancy McFarland, commented, what a sight to see. I think it's healing for us as a city when we are very divided about so many things right now. She said, this is neighbors coming together to help our neighbors. And indeed, what a sight it was to see. Even for me, as I read that highlight, the headline for this article, Raleigh Community Table brings hurricane relief. And to see these aerial pictures where the two rows of community tables extended two city blocks. This morning, Jesus reminds us of the importance of doing this. He reminds us of the importance of recognizing our connection to one another, recognizing our divine kinship, rising above the things that separate us. Jesus reminded us that our familial relationships are not solely limited to blood relatives, but rather it is a much broader connection, which includes you and me and the millions of other Christians in this world, those beyond the walls of this church. This passage reminds us of the gift we have in something so simple as a meal, that it can bring community of all types together to talk about life-giving and eternal things. So maybe this will be an encouragement to you to schedule that lunch, to have somebody over for a meal or for dinner, to gather in the presence of our Lord. It is my greatest desire that all around this world we can start to recognize our divine kinship that stretches all along and all throughout this globe and to take time to nurture those relationships. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.